buying and selling real estate, it can be a tough business to navigate. Sounds like you need some friends in the know. For instance, two longtime Twin Ports real estate professionals who know the ins and outs of the market. This is the Twin Ports Real Estate Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAM. Good afternoon and welcome to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Rounding and Gary Callagher here on KDL AM on your dial and FM at, what is it Gary? 103.9. 103.9. Welcome to this afternoon's Real Estate Show. Gary, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon and happy Easter weekend to everybody. Thanks for uh, right. tuning in to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show where we bring you the best local real estate news ever. And right, Some ever. of the national news. And sometimes some of the international news. Exactly. So, but locally, or I would say nationally here, Jim, obviously the big stories so far this year have been the mortgage interest rates. Um, They continue to be very, very low, very good for the uh, home buying. And then the amount of activity that's going on in the marketplace is just simply staggering. And I had a... um, um, something that happened to me this week that's never happened to me before. What's that? I had... Multiple offers on one of my listings, and the agent that got the offer started to cry when she was informed that they got it for her buyers. And then the second offer, you know, we had more than that, but the other one that was really in in contention, um, when I had to call this agent back, she started to cry. Really? So To tell her that she didn't get it. Yeah, that she didn't get it. And so... Uh, that just really kind of floored me because uh, I, it, it, I really it brought home the impact to me of like what's going on in the marketplace. And I know that we've talked about some of the frustrations and the emotions that are, that go on in the marketplace with with the buyers trying to get houses that they they write offers on that they they can't get. Um, and and but then we've also started to include some of the real estate agents, Jim. And so to see that level of emotion from the real estate community, and you know, one of these agents has been in the business longer than than I have and um, uh, that just really hit home I thought that was a really profound uh, occurrence that happened and uh, it just it, to, to me it was an indicator that there's a lot of emotion in this marketplace there's a lot of frustration uh, amongst everybody uh, except sellers right yeah I mean if you're a seller um, you are a happy camper for the most part um, you're going to be able to get most likely multiple offers and you're going to be able to kind of cherry pick your buyer. So let me ask you a question about these two offers, Gary. Um, were there serious, a lot of differences between the offers that you had? I mean... No, there weren't. So it was pretty close no matter what? Yeah. yeah. yeah Those but, are the hard ones. But you know? really, you know what really was the deciding factor on the, the one offer that they took initially? The, the love letter. Oh. The, those buyers For were, or against? Well, it was four. And uh, the the sellers really took to that, um, and so uh, it, it had an impact, an emotional impact on them, and that's the offer that they wanted to go through. So um, now, having said that, that offer fell apart. Oh no! <laughs> and we were able, we, you know, we had several other offers, so we were able to go back one that was cash, a little bit lower in price, but uh, trying to work out the cash one, and then there's another one also that was uh, above asking price that uh, is waiting in the wings as well. So uh, hopefully everything turns out, but it's really amazing how 
I don't want to say wishy-washy these buyers can be, but they waltz into these places. They offer all kinds of money on these these listings, Jim. Right. And then they, you know, this and this all came together. It was kind of late at night. You know, it was 10, 10.30 at night that this was going on. And they get up the next morning and, uh, you know, I send the uh, selling agent a message and I say, did you get the offer signed? And uh, she didn't get it signed. And so the buyer... The buyer didn't want to go forward, so they had some buyer's remorse there, and so and that's surprising in this marketplace that you go from an agent crying, thanking me for getting having their offer accepted because they've written all kinds of offers and haven't had any of them accepted to like, ah, eh, we were just kidding. Right. I mean, I, what were the emotions of that agent? I mean, oh, she tears was, of tears of joy to like, I'm really mad at these people. I'm done with this buyer. Yeah, I'm done with this buyer. Yeah. I mean, oh my. So. So they said, yes, we'll take your offer. And then immediately they changed their mind before you even got to a home inspection or anything. Yeah, well, they, you know, they had initially waived their home inspection. And these here's one of the interesting things, Jim, is all of the multiple offers we had, and we had four of them. They were all from out of state. All the buyers from, were from out of state with all these offers. Okay. And so you had a situation where they, the, the husband said that they'd waive the inspection. The wife's not in town. They're moving up from... Uh, Louisiana, and then you know, in the morning they they just retracted on wanting to have an ins- an inspection, and so they didn't sign the offer, and so uh, uh, hmm. and that to me is surprising with everything that's going on in the marketplace. You got a buyer that's got a house they've been looking forever. They're from out of town. The guy's living in in temporary housing, and they had this house in the palm of their hands. Wow. So what wow. goes on? I just don't know what goes on with these buyers, and. What leads them to go astray like that after with everything that we've been talking about in this marketplace, Jim? Right. And and uh, all of a sudden you get one of these wishy-washy situations. It's like, go figure. You know, I've had. Um, can we can we just talk about the letter part of it? The I've had um, more sellers than not really just kind of shove the letter away. And and kind of say, yeah, it's really cute, but I really don't care about that. So let's talk about the numbers. And they totally, <laughs> totally discard that letter. And I know that in, in other parts of, um, of the country, those aren't even accepted anymore. You know, I mean, because it's like, uh, it, you know, it's part of a MLS rule where, I mean, I've, I've heard this before, I, in, in, Florida, for example, I know you can still have um, a heartfelt letter, but I, I personally have never seen them really do much impact on any of my sellers. So, um, quite interesting. I think I, maybe a letter that would have impact would be somebody who has a history with the house or somebody who has a history with the family. Um, I've seen those before, and those do make a difference because it connects. Um, but I, I, I felt a lot of people are able to like ignore those letters and just say, yeah, I'm not going to get attached to these people. I'm just selling my house. I, I don't need to know who their kids are or, or what their dog Fluffy is doing or anything like that. So that, I don't know. Have you had that kind of reaction too? Oh, sure. And, and we're, we deal with that up front because they've, you know, our National Association of Realtors has deemed some of these love letters can be discriminatory. And so now right. we have to talk with sellers up front and we have, we actually have a form in our listing contracts, uh, our listing documents that we have to explain this to people, right. uh, whether they want to, um, 
If somebody writes a letter, do they want to get it, knowing that it could it could contain some discriminatory language in it? And it's it's all innocent. It, it's you know people that write these they don't understand that they don't under, you know they don't know what the uh, federal fair housing laws are or the Minnesota Human Rights Act laws are. They don't know that stuff. Even even though they're susceptible to what they say, you know, like for example, you don't have to be a real estate agent to um, be in violation of of um, um, uh, anti-housing discrimination laws. You know, you could just simply own a, own a duplex and be accused of um, discrimination. It's 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 not very hard to get the things mixed up um, if you don't know what the laws are. But all right, Gary. Well, interesting stuff um, with the the world of offers. But the markets are still busy. Uh, I I heard one of our agents, Jim, had a, a new listing in, and uh, she had twenty four offers on it. Wow. And what I, part of town was this in? I I'm not sure. Okay, where it was, but uh, how do you how do you keep all the stuff straight? And I guess she had created a spreadsheet highlighting every single thing of of each offer, and so um, uh, you know, just staggering what's going on in the marketplace with uh, with these offers because it's difficult when you get them all. Which which one is going to be the right one? And right. I, this was a classic example with what I just dealt with is like we chose one. And boy, twenty four right. hours later, it's well, no. even yeah, yeah, that's 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 wild. But even if I had twenty four offers, I think I could get it down, pared down to probably the top five very quick. You know, I mean, first of all, you would look at at the numbers because if you have that many offers, somebody's probably going to be be below asking price. So I would I would put them in order of of price first, and then I'd probably go with um, which ones are cash, which ones are financing. Um, and most sellers are going to say, well, let's look at the cash bunch. Is there one of them there that, that rings the bell, so to speak, as far as everything we want? And then do they have a home inspection contingency and things of that nature? So um, I have had one thing on this uh, where I've had a seller say, I insist that they have a home inspection, but I'm not fixing anything. And the reason they do it, and I think it's quite wise is a home inspection is a liability reducer for a seller as well because the buyer then has has some knowledge of what's going on in the house. I'm not saying they couldn't cancel, but the seller's saying, I'm not going to fix anything. So they insisted they did a home inspection. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a good point, you know, but I think in this marketplace with people that are wanting these houses are waiving these home inspections because right. they, they know it's a contingency. So it's just one of the dynamics that we're dealing with in the marketplace. But uh, I agree, and we've talked a little bit about this too, is, is there a liability for us making that suggestion with these uh, uh, with these waiving these home inspections? Jim, I know we're coming up on a break, and we've got uh, Barb Monty, the Duluth Landlords Association, coming on. Uh, the next segment, and she's going to talk about the new uh, eviction moratorium for rental housing across the country. They just extended that. So uh, uh, I know we got that. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Rodding and Gary Callagher here from REMAX Results. And Gary, um, before we bring Barb on, I wanted to tell our listeners... It might sound unusual, this show, because for the second time in a year, we are together, you and I, in the same room recording. And uh, man, for 
for almost uh, eight years, nine years. We were in eleven years. Eleven years in the studio together, um, recording this. Uh, and so it's it's uh, it's good to see you, buddy. It's good to be back face to face. It's it's yep. it's it's a little bit better that we can sit and look at each other and and now to bring Barb in. Barb, I don't know if you've you've had this this uh, if you've been bestowed this honor yet, but you are one of our most frequent guests. What do you think of that? <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> We have you on a lot because you are you're very um, very knowledgeable in in what's going on in the rental market area. But Gary, without further ado, do our introductions here and let's get going on this conversation. Well, yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, Barb Monty with the, the uh, Duluth Landlords Association, and uh, always appreciate her time coming on and keeping us tuned into the uh, uh, rental market that's going on. And, and and Barb is really connected with all of the local landlords here as well as uh, the city, at the city level as well. And so she does a lot of work uh, for the landlords through connecting the landlords with the city in, in all of the uh, uh, legislation or the ordinances or the rules and regulations that go on. And so uh, for anybody that is, is interested in getting into the um, residential income property market, Barbara is really a great resource and... Uh, uh, you know, we've been dealing with some very challenging times here with the rental market, not only locally here, but across the country. And one of the big things that happened last September as part of the uh, uh, the pandemic was on September 4th in 2020, the, um, uh, an order was put in place that, that uh, uh, property owners or landlords could not ev- evict their tenants um, because of the pandemic. And even if they weren't paying their rent, they couldn't evict them. Now, they could evict them for criminal activity or, or, you know, certain things that they were allowed to, but for they couldn't evict for non-payment of rent. And that created quite the hardship for uh, your small property owners, large property owners as well. Uh, but um, uh, the mom and pop shops really suffered. And so um, they kept extending this thing. And now the current moratorium, moratorium was supposed to expire at the end of March. But uh, earlier this week, uh, they came out and said, the federal government came out and said that we're going to extend this moratorium now, uh, the eviction moratorium, and you can't evict tenants for non-payment of rent until the end of June. So, Barb, get us up to speed with what's going on and uh, where's everything at? Well, thanks for asking. I am certainly only one small part of the information out there, but I did attend a webinar the other day, and there is uh, $375 million coming to Minnesota alone for rent help. So the last act was called CARES, and that was an acronym for COVID, and now they're trying to take the COVID piece out of it and just say this is rent help. And it's going to be available through September 30th of 2022. So there's money out there, and it's ultimately the tenants that have to provide information, but the landlord can initiate it. And uh, there's, you know, paperwork process that goes through, but there is rent assistance money available. Uh, They can go backwards in time, and they can go forward in time. So that's good news, and we need people to get out there and access those funds so barb um and 
as we ask these questions, right, I mean, um, for you to have all of the answers or memorize them all this fast, we understand would be would be asking a lot. But when you say goes backwards, how far back will this grant money go um, in order to uh, bring the rents current? My understanding is a person can get up to 15 months of rent assistance. Wow. I don't have it in front of me um, going back, but I believe that even you know prior to this year, you can go back. Don't quote me on that. Um, the first thing a person needs to do is just go to Rent Help Men or call 211 and get set up. They haven't completely launched the website um, yet because they want to make sure there's no glitches with it. But we did have uh, several nonprofits in Duluth assist tenants and landlords with the previous CARES Act and they are set up and they'll be, you can start providing information now. So you can even get it going before they've got the system completely up and running to cut checks to people. Barb, are landlords able to collect back rents? So if they haven't received any rent, say going back to September when this started, are they able to collect back rents? Or you, you mentioned the 16-month. Is that is that a forward-looking payment, or are there uh, rents in arrears that can be paid? It's my understanding, rents in arrears, but here's the, here's the catch. They need to continue living in that property. If they've moved out, you cannot collect rent on a tenant who owes you that's moved out. So they have to be an existing tenant and not have to have moved out. And if they have moved out, the landlord's just out of luck. Well, the landlord, of course, has other legal means to pursue. So right, because the know. rent is still due. It was just it, it wasn't um, forgiven. It's it's just delayed. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah. Right. They can't. The landlord cannot get back due rent. Uh, that's owed to them if the tenant has moved out. But they can, of course, go to the court and get a judgment against the tenant. And maybe there is assistance. I don't know. But um, And just a, another point is that the tribal nations have separate funds. And so if a person falls into that category, uh, there is also a plan available. Have you seen or are you aware of, and maybe you know on a percentage basis, locally here, how many landlords have been affected by non-payment of rent? Mm, a lot more than tenants have been affected by eviction notices. I can say that for certain. I did reach out at one point because the city, uh, through Jason Hale, who is uh, our city employee that is in charge of housing areas, um, asked about how many evictions do we foresee? And surprisingly, Duluth is not going to see a lot of evictions. Um, the biggest concern is that, that there are tenants who stopped paying rent for whatever reason and that there are going to be a lot of judgments against tenants. But for the most part, um, not that many, to be honest. Hmm. Um, myself, for example, I am out a percentage of rent from what I had last year, um, but that's because I didn't, I wasn't able to get the house fully rented. So um, it doesn't count. I can't actually apply for assistance for it, but I think there's maybe some of that going on as well. Okay. So Gary and I, um, this was maybe six weeks ago on this show, 
uh, and you were uh, you were not at that time, but we were talking about a, a piece of uh, income property that was sold, and it sold rather quick, even though. I, I want to say there was like eleven thousand dollars, Gary. In it was twelve thousand dollars. Twelve thousand dollars in in uh, owed rent, and I mean, basically, to me, it seems like this this landlord might not have been able to afford to hold on to the property or whatever. I have you run into a lot of landlords who are the tenants? Uh, they're, they're, they have a very high percentage of non-payment of rent coming in, and how has that affected their livelihood as a landlord? I personally sold a property. It wasn't in Duluth. It was in the Twin Cities area because I was not getting paid rent. And I was able to get some assistance, but the tenant also had issues of criminal behavior. It was causing hardships in the area, and it just wasn't worth it for me to continue to rent. So um, my guess is we'll have some turnover of mom-and-pop properties that just don't want to deal with the issues of you know, uncertainty of the legal process of being able to get tenants that are badly behaving um, moving on. Yeah, I mean, um, just just thinking about this personally, I'm thinking there's going to be issues there in in a lot of fronts for a lot of landlords that just hasn't it just has not come to light. Um, you know, it's just kind of make to me it, it seems like it's one of those maybe not touched on topics in in the press. Um, but yeah, well, it's, it's certainly good news that there's, there's going to be some, some stimulus money that addresses this problem for both tenants and landlords, because I, I just don't understand how people can make it. Right. The other thing that was in the press, our Deleuze News Tribune had featured an article about eviction and they had a tenant from Superior, Wisconsin who was in a trailer park situation and had not paid lot rent. And the good news is Minnesota rent help will be able to cover trailer house lot rent. You so know, go, going back to this uh, story that Jim about this um, uh, house that came on the market and they, uh, the tenant, they, they owed $12,000 in back rent. And, and the funny thing is, is, is that the agent had posted on, I think our local Facebook site asking, does anybody know how we can get right. these people out of this place, you know, for not yeah. paying rent? And I think the, the, the replies to it were overwhelming. It's like, no, you can't, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a non-payment of rent, you can't evict them for that. And so there was some frustration. And this was a fair, this was a duplex. And I think the, the price on it was like $280,000 and, and, you know, when you pay that kind of money for a duplex, it's you, you, you got to it's hard to make the numbers work on a duplex. So um, the fact that this place sold right in my understanding, there were multiple offers on right. it um, was just an indicator that maybe they don't care. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the case. But uh, those tenants, to my understanding, are still there. Yeah, that's you, possible. I, I know that, and you guys know this better than I do, that properties are still flying off the market. And what I hear is that a lot of people from the Twin Cities are leaving that area to come and move to Duluth. They can work from a distance now because a lot of us have gotten comfortable with um, not working at an office building, but working and Zooming from home. And um, a lot of the people that I'm seeing that are paying, you know, Pretty much top dollar on properties are 
folks that are wanting to move to Duluth. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, I have I have a friend who lives in the Twin Cities, and um, <clears throat> her neighbor was carjacked at a stop sign right in their residential neighborhood of Robbinsdale, and they drove off with the baby in the back seat after they threw the mother to the ground, only to stop a block later and push the kid out of the car, and then took off again. I mean. That's the Twin Cities. You just, I, I'm not used to hearing that kind of thing. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I think you're right. There, there, are, there are people that are leaving the Twin Cities, um, but the pandemic is relocating people to areas of Duluth, of places of beauty and low crime and all that kind of stuff just because they're able to work wherever they want. So, Hey, Barb, do you have any numbers on the vacancy, local vacancy rates, I know they're low, and I'm, I, I I don't know if they're, you know, I think a standard balanced uh, rental market is in the 3 to 5% vacancy range. Do you have any, any idea what we are currently running at? I don't. I did reach out yesterday to one of the larger property management companies, and she said vacancies are pretty much what they have been. Uh, Duluth is still a market of hard to find uh, properties to rent so and uh, I don't think the rents are coming down in Duluth I think the rents are coming down in the Twin Cities a little bit Um, and they've got a lot of other interesting things going on in Minneapolis and St. Paul with their city councils proposing um, rent controls and those kinds of things with their are scary things to hear about. But our city council works well with us. They um, ask us questions. Our city staff work well with us. And um, we maintain civility, which is a fantastic thing. So Duluth is still a very attractive place to come to. And and whether you're buying a home for yourself or buying it as an investment property, I think Duluth is still um, a, a stellar place. What are your thoughts on some of the... Um, um development that's going on with all these apartments that have been built but they're still continuing to build them i'm super excited any property that's built in duluth is a good thing for all of us we you know do have a shortage of properties it's hard to build in duluth for a number of reasons and um you know the price of a two by four is shocking everybody this week and last week so I'm thrilled that there are companies out there with enough resources to be able to invest in duluth and build um, housing because the average mom and pop can't afford to do that no that's that's for sure and, and Gary to follow up on um, you know how what is the vacancy rate I, I talked to Steve Germond who also works for Remax results and he does some property management he he does a lot in superior and I was asking him for a friend you know anything available and he just said absolutely not he goes it is so crazy with waiting lists and he was stating that the construction crews that are here are taking up the balance of whatever is left. Um, so you've got the refinery reconstruction going on over in Superior. I imagine that there's going to be some people coming in that are working on the uh, can of worms. Um, and then there's other other large projects that are going on. The en- um, Enbridge Line 3. Enbridge Line 3. So that's that's having a big impact on, on a lot of that. All right, well... Right now, we got to take a break here. Um, folks, you're tuned into the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. We're going to be right back, so hang in. 
Hey, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronning and Gary Callagher here, along with Barb Monty, our special guest. And Gary, we haven't given out any phone numbers here, so I'm going to start. Um, Jim Ronning, my number is 218-348-7653. And then we'll go Gary. And then Barb, if people need to get a hold of you, we'll also um, get some information. Folks, you can reach me at 218-390-0615. I just want to put a call out there for properties because... Everybody knows how active it is. The grounds are starting to to warm up and green up. And if you've got a a multifamily property, if you've got land, uh, if you've got residential housing in the $125,000 to $350,000 range, these are very hot markets right now. So if you have questions or are considering putting your house on the market, give Jim or I a call. Again, you can reach me at 218-390-0615. All right, Barb, um, how about uh, if people want to get involved in the uh, Duluth Landlords Association, what do they do? You know, I think it's probably easiest if they just email me. So it's okay. my name, A-R-B-M-O-N-T, and it's a double E, E-E, so uh, at gmail.com. So send me an email, and happy to put you on the list. Uh, we are Zooming on the 8th, so that's exciting. Uh, I've got a host to help me because I'm not really good at Zooming. <laughs> Hey, we, we understand that. What are some of the things, Barb, that the Duluth Landlords Association can do to help somebody that's uh, a, a landlord or thinking about being a landlord? Well, I take phone calls from people who are just frustrated and help educate them about what's going on. I connect them up with our tenant landlord connection, which is a free mediation service, and um, encourage people to join our state organization which actually lobbies on our behalf which is really critical because there's a lot of um, things that are happening on a legislative level that affect uh, rentals and when you affect rentals you affect all properties so I think it's important for people to be aware of that and stay connected to that and um, realize that whatever happens in one market happens in you know affects Ripley in another market. So, but it is a good time to sell a house, and um, they do fly off the market. And I, um, I love to see that happen in neighborhoods in a good way. Does Duluth have a, um, uh, any maybe a percentage wise? You know, I, uh, in terms of like problematic tenants that you have to connect with the uh, landlord tenant connection. Do you do you have a large percentage of, of problematic situations like that? I'm currently working with one myself, and I'm working with the Duluth Police Department, and we actually have social workers on staff with the Duluth Police Department. They've been very helpful, and working with them, helping folks get the help they need. So I've got kind of a zero eviction um, goal in my life, and it's all about just helping people figure out what's a better place for them to live. Maybe they don't match with the neighborhood. Maybe there's a neighborhood where their lifestyle works better. Um, And then, of course, some of them need chemical dependency treatment or mental health treatment, and the police police force is willing to work with us on that. So, Barb, one of the things that we have, and most, I will say this, there's a very, very high percentage of landlords in Duluth that are really good landlords. They take care of their properties. they, They do everything they're supposed to do. But there is a percentage of them that don't. Are you aware or do you get any calls uh, from tenants or landlords that have problematic properties, they never fix them, their stuff leaking, and, and they become somewhat of a, a safety hazard for tenants to be living in? Do you deal with anything like that? 
Well, you know, the city of Duluth is unique in that we have a life safety division that is quite involved in terms of rental inspections. So they do a more thorough inspection than most communities in the state. And they look at all those things and they're working hard on that. So I think Duluth is in a a good position that way. So, and you know, of course there's the occasional experience that people will talk about. Usually it's an education thing, but I take phone calls from um, tenants as well as landlords. And I'm happy to do that and happy to refer them on for, you know, I'm a volunteer. I do what I can to educate and then, you know, refer them if they need, um, you know, legal assistance, try and connect them up with an attorney or a mediator or those kinds of things. So, you know, we show a lot of properties as realtors and we get into these multifamily units and it's inevitable that we'll walk into one, some of these things that are, you know, a little below average in terms of condition and, you know, the, the buyers that are walking through looking at them, the ten, sometimes the tenants are there and, and the buyer will just blurt out and say, hey, do you have any problems with in these units? Is anything leaking? And the tenants just like go off. And they'll just like, well, yeah, it started leaking here. You know, I called the landlord. He didn't come and fix it and everything like that. So I'm just I was curious as to whether or not you get any of those types of calls. I got a call just the other day, and this person was saying the tenant refuses to ask the landlord to fix anything because they have a misunderstanding in their mind that that's going to allow them to stay there for their eternity. And that's just not true. So I try to do a lot of education for tenants and for landlords and say, hey, it's okay to get things fixed. It's a good thing. And working with, you know, the city and with the uh, landlord, the tenant, all about education. So the Duluth, um, the Duluth Life and Safety, um, do they also go and have conversations with problematic tenants? And do they do that on their own or are they, um, can a landlord say, okay, look, I, my building is up to snuff. These people are, you know, I don't know, let's say they're, they're, they're not picking up, there's junk in the yard or whatever it might be. And it becomes a hazard and for other people, do they, do they kind of go in and have that kind of a conversation with a tenant as well, if that's the need? You know, I think primarily life safety works with the landlord. Okay. Um, but, you know, there's certainly an opportunity for them to refer them to the tenant-landlord connection and, you know, get assistance that way. So now and then, you know, something happens and it gets to be big news. But it's a, it's, it's not a normal thing for landlords to not take care of a building. Probably something else happened first that I made that you. happen. And the same with a tenant. You know, their life is just not going well and they need some support. They need some help to be able to realize um you know, how to do housekeeping or how to get along in a neighborhood. But there's all kinds of tenants out there. There's all kinds of properties out there. And we need all of them. Right, yeah. Barb, for many, many years we had issues with, uh, I shouldn't say issues, but we had uh, uh, the student housing issue was really a big issue as we, oh, yes, it was. we got back in, into the late 2000s. How is the student housing population when it comes to rentals? How is it currently doing? What's currently the state of that? You know, again, I don't know that I'm the best expert, but what I can tell you is there was proposed a uh, high uh, uh, rise um, dorm, and I that's put on hold with COVID. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of shake out with students. And to be honest, a lot of them are looking at other options. Um, some 
folks didn't end up going to college. So I think the enrollments are going to be, you know, stable or slightly below. And I think that's going to have an effect on the housing market. What effect? I'm not sure. But but, but in terms of like problem, you know, student nuisances, all those types, the complaints and everything that were going on with n- neighborhood residents, has that abated or, you know, where's the, what's the status of that type of stuff? For the most part, I think that the neighbors are a bit more understanding and those that aren't, you know, have maybe um, aged out and moved on. <laughs> so um, the interesting thing is when they do that, then they're happy to sell it and the house becomes a rental. So I think some of that initial wave of we don't want the area around campus to become a dinky town like in the cities, um, I think that's gone away because I think a lot of those folks have aged out and the people who have moved in are just understanding that neighborhoods are transition places now. They don't stay. A person doesn't live there for their entire life. Um, The houses just on my block alone have turned over two times, three times even. Um, Young people are just, their lives are more transitory. You know, they start at one job and they move on to another. Coast Guard families move in. Um, You know, people from other cities move into Duluth. Um, Medical folks, you know, going to, you know, finishing their grad programs. So it's just a lot of transition. Uh, It's just not like it used to be. Barb, we have a little over a minute here to go. And uh, so is there anything you want to give a shout out to there or anything that you want to say? And then uh, give your contact information again before we uh, we have to sign off here. Sure. Well, I thought we did mention that, you know, the city of Duluth does allow you to rent out a guest room. And if we've got a housing um, crisis, which, of course, we've been told, you know, consider renting out your guest room and uh, make a little money, meet a person, um, have an exchange Uh, broaden your horizons. I do that. I've rented out to uh, tugboat captains and Enbridge employees and uh, you name it. And it enriches my life. So, and um, also gives you a chance to maybe upgrade your property with some income coming in. So um, again, my email, barbmonty at gmail.com and Monty is spelled with two E's. All right. Yeah. And thanks again for coming on, Barb. Um, In follow-up, um, I want to know, do you think that Duluth is well on the way to filling some of the um, housing shortage needs um, that were addressed some seven years ago, I think, with the first conference that they held? That's a good question. I don't know. My guess is we will be able to fill every house that's built and then some. Yeah, okay. Well, I know that in the Twin Cities, I mean, they have the same situation where they don't have a lot of things um, for rent. And so a lot of these big apartment buildings came in at the expense of an existing neighborhood. And uh, that's called gentrification. And it, it doesn't go over well down there in some of those old established neighborhoods. I think Duluth is maybe saved from that so far. But um, it, there's just a lot of interesting things with bringing in new housing sometimes. So. All right, well, we're out of time here. Barb, thanks again for being with the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. We really appreciate you, and we hope that we can have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Barb. Okay. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Hang in. Hey, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, our final segment. Jim Ronding and Gary Callagher here. Gary, I wanted to follow up just for one second on um, the last thing we were talking with Barb about, which was which was gentrification. 
And uh, my son is um, well, he's graduated now from the University of Minnesota in architecture. And that is one of the things that they actually talked quite a bit about in architecture class. And it's happening more so than people might realize up north here, where they're displacing what they call, you know, affordable housing. You know, they go into neighborhoods and they'll buy up 25 houses. They'll buy up, you know, two square blocks. And people are protesting that because they're taking away, you know, one of the last bits of affordable housing. Because, you know, the housing wasn't as expensive as it is. It's in, you know, it's, it's, it's in by the, by the university. And um, it's changing the makeups of neighborhoods. And there are people that are highly contested with this, including many of the university professors. So it's quite interesting what's actually going on down in the Twin Cities that we might not always hear about as far as housing goes. Well, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think that that the housing developers that are coming in and taking away some of the long-term housing and just, you know, bulldozing it over and building new stuff, obviously uh, the cost of renting goes up. And so, you know, I think it's it, in, in one aspect that that's, that's a good thing. You know, these are nice units, they're new units, and, and I think there was a demand in our marketplace for that. But at the same time, too, I think it helps the, the other housing stock that are rentals because they're less money. Right. And, and not everybody can afford to live in these new units. They just can't. And so you have uh, a situation to where some of the other properties that are existing, their, their rents are going up, but they're under what the new construction is. And so I think that that's a good thing for everybody. Well, and anybody can witness this because if you drive down into the Twin Cities, you just need to turn anywhere and you'll see oh, it's just like St. Louis Park is all changed. I mean, um, North Minneapolis is all changed. I mean, there are these new phenomenal buildings that are up there. And then you look around and, and there's, there's, there's still communities there that are around them and it's changed them a lot. Yeah. So. Jim, All right, Gary, let's move on. We've got a couple minutes here, but I had a conversation with an appraiser this week. Okay. And interesting, I just simply said, hey, what do you think about this marketplace? What are you doing with all the appraisals, that, are, that with these offers that are coming in $10,000, $20,000, dollars over the list price? Are they all appraising? And I, I tried to ask him for a percentage of his appraisals that he wasn't appraising. And this is an appraiser that's been around a long time. And his answer to me was, he says, I, I don't know. And he said, I can't give you a number. He said, I, I go in, I do the, uh, you know, the work. And he said, some of them don't appraise. But he said, surprisingly, you know, he said, I get the purchase agreements. I see the offers. And I'm seeing an awful lot of language in there that states that buyers will pay the difference between the appraised value and the written value uh, if it doesn't appraise. And so, uh, but he said, I'm, I have a very high percentage of, of of the properties that I appraise that are getting appraised, regardless of whether or not they've uh, escalated in value or not. You know, and I think that if we go right back to the very beginning of our of our day when we were talking about the 24 offers that we had, the beginning of the show, um, that's another category. So obviously, if you have 24 offers on a property, you're going to have somebody going gangbusters on a number, right? That's what I would look for. I would look for if there's going to be an appraisal, that they're willing to pay the difference in cash in order to guarantee that price. Because otherwise, to me, I tell the seller, I go, well, I, I just don't think it's going to appraise. And then what's going to happen is, is they're going to renegotiate back down to, to wherever it does. So it becomes an issue. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm surprised to hear that from the appraiser. But the, I would say there's a very high percentage of, uh, of properties appraising for these escalated values. 
All right, Gary, we're out of here. Why don't you give out your phone number one more time? 218-390-0615. And happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, and if you want to reach me, it's 218-348-7653. And have a wonderful weekend. I'm so looking forward to dinner with my kids on Easter. Happy Easter to you, Gary Callagher. Thank you, folks. Talk to you next week.